Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, last chapter, and in verse 5. And we'll be wrapping up our study in Daniel today. And Daniel is not only a great study, but a great preparation for our next study, which will be studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. After we go through Daniel, it sort of sets the stage for the revelation that was given to John. And, and chapter 12, the latter part of chapter 12, really is a transition to prophecy that would be given hundreds of years later. But for now, as we look at the book of Daniel, we realize in this last section that an angel is going to reveal to Daniel when the time of the end would be completed. Now think about the time of the end, and we've talked a lot about that. We'll talk more about it today. It's a time that's yet in the future for us. I know some differ with that way of thinking, but here at Calvary Chapel, we embrace this thinking, that, with this understanding that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, that Christ is coming again. But that before he does, amen, before he does, there's going to be a time of testing on the earth, a time of tribulation, seven years of prophecy yet unfulfilled that were given to Daniel in chapter 9. And that seven-year time period is a time of testing for Israel, time of God's grace and work in the lives of not only those who are Jews, but those within the world who need to receive Christ before he returns. In addition to that, it's a time of judgment on the earth, God's judgment against a Christ-rejecting world. A lot of things are going to happen during this seven-year time period. We're going to talk about that in great detail over the next few months in our studies. But this evening, we, or this morning, this morning we see that we have a, an opportunity to look into the heart of God as it relates to his heart for people. Because I think if you look at the revelation of Jesus Christ or the book of Daniel, and you come to the conclusion that God is just waiting to destroy the earth, then you've missed it. God is desiring to save all those who call upon his name. So as we open this last section, let's open in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for being with us here today. We thank you for our church family. We we thank you for our children. We pray that you continue to abundantly bless them. Here at this church, there are so many young minds and hearts that need to be influenced in these dark days. So we pray a special prayer upon our Sunday school this morning, from the nursery up to the junior high. For all those that are being ministered to right now by our church family and by those who volunteer to serve, Lord, we also pray that everyone here within the sanctuary would be ministered to as well. Lord, we above all desire that you would be glorified in our midst, in our lives, and that you would have our hearts completely, that we would serve you wholeheartedly, that we would surrender any areas of our life that are not surrendered to you, that we might be blessed completely. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, picking it up in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 12 in the book of Daniel, we read that Daniel tells us, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. And one of them said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Well, the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven 
And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. That's an interesting conversation. It's hard to just sort of jump in and understand what's going on. So as a little bit of a backup here, just recap. Daniel is recounting a conversation that he overheard between some angels in a vision that he received. We know from chapter 10, verse 4, when this vision was relayed to us, the beginning of that vision was in chapter 10, that the vision took place on the 24th day of the first month while he was standing on the bank of the Tigris River. And as he's there, he receives this last vision. He had received a number of visions, but this is the last one that he receives. And it goes from chapter 10 through chapter 11 and into chapter 12. So we've been in this for several weeks. He saw and was speaking with a man dressed in linen that's referred to here in chapter 12. We know that he had a belt of finest gold around his waist, and his description is given to us in Daniel chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. We're told there that he looked like a man, but he was clearly an angelic messenger. His body was like a shining precious gemstone, and his face was like lightning. His eyes shone like flaming torches. His arms and his legs gleamed like polished bronze. And his voice, we're told, thundered like the sound of a multitude. In fact, he is extremely similar, this angel that Daniel saw who's speaking with him, was extremely similar to Jesus in all of his heavenly glory in Revelation chapter 1. And for that reason, some people believe it actually is Jesus, but more than likely not, given the description and his behavior and and how he refers to God the Father. There does seem to be a, a, a submission on the part of this angel that's more angelic than it would be the Son of God submitting to the Father. So this mighty angel appeared to Daniel, and he receives this great vision that goes through three chapters. But as this is taking place, at the end of the vision, he sees, that is, Daniel sees two other men or angels in his vision. And one is on either side of the bank of the Tigris River. So you have this mighty angel sort of suspended above the Tigris River. And on either side in this vision... On either side of the bank of the Tigris, you have two other angels. And they begin to have a conversation. In fact, one of these angels or men asked the the man clothed in linen, this mighty angel, how long it would be before these things were fulfilled. And I find it interesting because as you study the visions of Scripture, prophecy, things that have been fulfilled to some degree, some things that have not yet been fulfilled, some things that will be fulfilled shortly— The logical human response, not only angelic, but human response is to say, well, how long is it going to be before these things are fulfilled, and how long will it take for these things to be fulfilled? We always seem to want a timeline. I have read many commentaries on end times prophecy, and they call that study eschatology, the study of last days things or things yet to be revealed. And as you study that, there's a lot of questions. In fact, there are so many more questions than there are answers but that makes sense because it's, it's a vision of the future that hasn't been revealed yet. But as you think about it, as you consider these things, one of the first reactions you have is, okay, I kind of understand some of what's going to happen. When? And it's interesting that these angels are having this conversation. That seems to be their response as well. When are these things going to happen? How long is it going to be before these things are fulfilled? When is it all going to finally be completed? 
Have you ever asked yourself that question? When is Jesus coming back? Have you ever asked that question? That's kind of what they're asking. When is Jesus coming back? And people write books and sermons are taught. And over the last few decades, there, there have been a few very foolish souls who have tried to tell you exactly when Jesus is coming back. They'll even give dates. Or they'll, they'll say, well, this year Jesus is coming back. I remember there were books like, and Pastor Joe will remember this as well, you know, the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And when 89 came around, they updated the book. 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. And throughout the last century, you've seen a lot of popular theorizing as to when exactly Jesus would come back. And I've read a lot of stuff. And, you know, it's all very interesting, but it never really pans out, does it? There was a false teacher. Gosh, I don't even remember too much about this guy anymore. I kind of freed up that brain space because it was a waste of thinking, really. Uh, There was this one individual who... He was part of some weird cult, and I think he was an engineer, and he came up with all of these ideas. I can't even remember his name, and I don't want to. So don't come up to me afterwards. Oh, you know who that was? I don't even want to know. I forgot him. He's forgettable. But he got all of his followers to sort of sell everything they had and wait for this one particular calendar day. And it wasn't that long ago when this happened. Sure enough, what happened? Nothing. And, and, you know, Jesus didn't come back on the day that he said he would. And what did he do? He came up with an excuse. It was somebody's fault. It wasn't his. Oh, he made an error in his calculations, and so then they changed the date again. But before that could happen, the guy had a stroke. And I'd like to say he went home to be with the Lord, but I don't know that I can say that. I can tell you that there are many deceivers in the world and many people that will try you to tell you, oh, the Lord is here, the Lord is there. The scripture tells us that. And when we study end times prophecy, that's never the intention on the part of a good teacher to try to tell you exactly when things will happen or exactly or precisely how they'll happen. There are many different schools of theology that look at end times events. But the most important aspect of end time events is that Jesus is coming again. Amen? You know, if all of my theology goes out the window and I get a whole lot of things wrong, but I get this one thing right, that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he comes again for his church and he comes again to rule and reign on the earth, then I think my theology is pretty solid. Now, having said that, there are some things we can look at here today. But I I put that disclaimer out there because I don't profess to know all things. In fact, I know very little. What I know is what the scripture says. And I want to encourage you, and I want you to be discouraged, or, and I don't want you to have an unhealthy fascination with end-time events either. But I do want you to understand that these angels, they wanted to know how long it would take before these things were fulfilled. It is their question, not even Daniel's, that we're considering this morning. Not even your questions or my questions. Now, here's what we do know. The angelic messenger, who seems to understand more about the end-time events than anyone else, was suspended above the Tigris River in the vision, and this is a vision, this isn't actually happening, or it's happening dimensionally in a way that only Daniel can see. Now, on the bank of the Tigris River, this man described the things revealed to Daniel as astonishing. And if you've been going through this study with us and and you describe the things you've learned here over the last few months as astonishing, yeah, I agree, they're astonishing when you consider the truth of Scripture. But this angel sincerely desired to know more about Israel's future. Now, what that tells me is that angels are created beings. And they're not all-knowing. 
In fact, I think they know in some ways as much as we do. I don't really think they know more or less. They only know what we know, what God has revealed to mankind through his spoken and written word. This mighty angel was given more knowledge, which he then shared with Daniel. And so now we know what he knew. But we still don't have a complete and total understanding beyond knowing that Christ is coming again and we can trust the word of God. God's angelic messengers are fascinated by his message of salvation. Do you know that? In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told the angels desire to look into these things. They're fascinated with it. They think it's astonishing as well. I wonder what it must be like to be an angel and to see what God has done in the plan of salvation for mankind. And to sit back and say, wait a minute, why would God love such a fallen race? Why would God, why would Jesus come and die on the cross for their sins? You know, he didn't die on the cross for the sins of angels. He didn't become an angel. He became a little lower than the angels, the book of Hebrews tells us from the Psalms. And he became a man to die on the cross as a man for mankind. So some people have asked me, is there salvation for the angels? Well, I don't know that I can answer that question completely, but according to the word of God, there is no revelation given of any salvation for the angels. That's all I know. I do know that Satan will never repent. I know that there are fallen angels that never repent. I know that there are demons, and that we've talked over the years about the origin of demons, but there are evil forces in this world. There are spiritual forces, wickedness in high places in our world and within the world that God created. And what happens to them is not really my business. What happens to me, and as a pastor, what happens to you is my business. Mankind is our business. And we do know that God has given us a message for mankind, a message of salvation that the angels look at and they think, what in the world? They desire to look into such things. So these angels do as well. They're astonished. And what we learn as we consider the knowledge that angels have or do not have, there's one little encouraging piece of news I want to share with you that you may not have considered. Satan and his fallen angels are also limited in their knowledge of the future. You see, they don't know all things. We tend to think of Satan and and, and demons as knowing stuff that we don't know. Please understand, anything that a demon may reveal to a witch or some kind of a seance situation, you know, an occultist, is a lie. Or some knowledge that they receive that they've twisted to control people's lives. It's not as if Satan and God are playing chess, you know, God is white and Satan is black and they're playing at the chessboard and and one makes a move and then the other puts him in checkmate. No, 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 no. God doesn't even sit at a table with Satan. Satan is doing his very best to destroy as many lives as he can before he comes back, before Jesus comes back to rule and reign. He's trying to do his best. And even after a thousand years when he's released, Satan is released and and he goes out and he gathers all the people of the earth to reject Christ and gather against him. His goal is still the same. I know where I'm going. I want to bring as many people with me as I can. So are you listening to the lies of the devil? Because the MO of Satan is to destroy you. He lies, he murders, he deceives. He's come to rob, to steal, to kill, and destroy But Jesus has come, 
And he's coming again, amen. But he's come to save. So the message of salvation is for those who believe on Jesus, but those that reject Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection and his message of hope to come again are those that will have their part in, as we referred to it last week, the lake of fire. So yeah, the stakes are high. Your decision here now affects eternity for you and and in some cases for others as you seek to influence them and bring them to a knowledge of the gospel. But angels also are curious. And so they ask questions that we might ask. And in verse 7, we've also read here, it says, The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever. That would be God, right? Saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Let's just stop there for a minute. What are we talking about? Well, we, we kind of have to back up a little bit. Because what we're, what we're learning here is, is Daniel heard that the man clothed in linen, who swore before God, he told him that it would take, how long would these things be? How, how long would it take for these things to be fulfilled? A time, times, and half a time, or three and a half years. Now that's consistent with all of the revealed scripture up to this point in the book of Daniel. Carries over into the book of Revelation as well. You can't really doubt that that number keeps coming up. That there's this seven-year number, and that the middle of that seven-year time period has an event that divides that seven-year time period, sometimes called Daniel's 70th week, into two sections, which are sometimes called the time of the beginning of sorrows and the time of great tribulation, but that there's a a three-and-a-half-year time period that's being referred to here that refers to the last three-and-a-half years of a seven-year time period, sometimes referred to as the tribulation. So what happens during those three and a half years? Well, first of all, I want to point out that this will be a time of unprecedented distress for Israel. That's what, that we're already told. Three and a half years before Christ comes again, three and a half years of unprecedented distress. And by the way, you get yourself into trouble when you try to put the church into this prophecy. Because the church, I believe, the church has already been raptured. But even if you don't believe that, the prophecy here has to do with Israel. We're told that throughout Daniel, that this has to do with his people. So we're not really talking about, we're certainly not talking about the United States. We're we're not talking about the church. We're we're not even really talking about Christians. Because it seems most of them have been martyred by this point anyway, or martyred during this time period. Or raptured. And when you look at this, you realize this is about Israel. This is about God's people, Israel. So for many years, there were people who believed that Israel was finished, that God was done dealing with Israel. And there were other schools of thought that believed that God still had a plan for Israel. And then in 1948, May 14th, Israel was reborn as a nation, and people started to reconsider, you know, looks like what Isaiah said is true, a nation born in a day. He brought them back into the land. And now Israel, once again, is in their homeland and at the center of all unfulfilled biblical prophecy. Just like Zechariah said, Jerusalem would become a cup of trembling for the nations. So it's hard to deny that. Is it coincidence? I don't think so. And with that as a backdrop, let's realize what we're learning here, that this time of distress for Israel, and we'll see this when we get to Revelation, is a time where God protects his people. But it's still a time of distress. They have to flee Israel. 
But notice the last sentence. And this is so revealing. It says, when, that is, after a time, times and a half a time, after three and a half years, this will be when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. So what was the question? When will these things be fulfilled? How long will it take? Three and a half years. When will it be completed? When the power of the holy people has been broken. What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about power. We all have the power to make decisions. God has given us free will. And God gave his people Israel free will. And they've made some bad decisions, just like you and I have made bad decisions in our life. Right? But Israel over the centuries has chosen to reject Jesus as a nation. I'm not saying there aren't Jews who have received Christ. But as a nation, as a group of people, they have rejected their Messiah. And as a consequence, God has been working in the lives of the Jewish people to bring them to salvation. And he's been working through some really horrific experiences. I have many friends who are Jews and Orthodox Jews, and I remember one saying to me, you know, they say we're the chosen people. Chosen for what? Chosen to suffer? You can understand how you could come to that conclusion, but understand that suffering isn't, isn't the heart of God. It's the consequences of rejecting him. Which, if you go back, don't, don't just think about what took place within the last hundred years. Go back to the time when Babylon destroyed them, or the Assyrians destroyed them, or Egypt took them into captivity. Think about it. God allowed his people, he sustained his people, he, he preserved his people, but he allowed his people to suffer. Why would God do that? Well, there is a purpose in suffering. And it's God's purpose to break us through suffering that we might be submitted to him. That is true, not just for Israel. That is true for you and I as well. So no one likes suffering unless you're weird. Do you get up in the morning, Lord, really hope I suffer today? No, you get up in the morning, you think, Lord, please keep me from suffering. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to go through tribulation. I want to be able to pay my bills. I, I want good things to happen in my life. But wait a minute, suffering comes. Then you think, well, God, I guess God took a vacation. I, 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 I prayed that I wouldn't suffer, and I am suffering. But you have to understand that the scripture, James talks about this. Peter talks about this. Paul talks about this. There is a purpose in suffering. And God works all things together, including suffering, For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So suffering has a purpose. It's not as if God just allows you to suffer and there isn't some purpose behind it. You know, that's comforting to me. Because when you think about it, if you train, if any of you train, whether it be uh, athletics or martial arts, you know there's suffering in athletics. There's suffering in any discipline that you take on. If you go to the gym a couple times a week, you don't go because... You aren't suffering. You go because you want to look good or you want to be healthy or both. But there's a price to pay. No pain, no gain, right? And, and we embrace that because we know that suffering, the breaking down of muscles, the repetition of movement, we understand that brings suffering, but it brings something good as well. Suffering in this life brings about a good result when God is the author or the allower of that suffering in your life. Generally, it's the consequences of bad decisions. But God does allow suffering. You can't deny that. So, Israel's going to go through a time, three and a half years of severe suffering, and then Israel's going to be broken. 
Now, I've often thought about this, and I, and I thought, why does it take three and a half years for Jesus to come again? Or seven years, if you include the whole time period, or for that matter, 2,000 years. Could it be just a thought that God, using suffering and difficulty in this world, is patiently waiting for his people to respond? We often say we're waiting on God, but I think it's more accurate to say he's waiting on us. You know, God is working in your life, and if you're resisting him, don't blame him. Are you resisting God? So what we learn is that Israel, as a power, will finally be broken. And I believe that doesn't mean destroyed. That means surrendered to God. This is clearly God's intention in bringing them through this time of great distress. Now, during this, the world is being judged for their sins. But that's not what's happening to Israel. They're being preserved, but God is allowing them to go through distress that they might be broken. Now, the time of wrath on the world is a time of distress for Israel. But, brothers and sisters, it's a time of grace. Yes, it's a time of grace. Because God could destroy you in a nanosecond. God could just say, I am, you're not, and you'd be gone. Why would he, with long suffering, why would he wait on us to respond unless he's not willing that any should perish? but that all should come to repentance, which the scripture tells us is true. So the seven years of tribulation could just as well be called the seven years of God's grace toward mankind. It's important that you see that. Oh, how could you say that with all the disasters? Listen, disasters have a way of bringing people to God. Uh, Most of us here lived through 9-11, right? Remember how spiritual everyone was like that week and maybe two weeks later? Then when we realized it wasn't going to happen again, perhaps in the next you know, week or two, then everybody kind of you know, backed off. And as we've gone through difficult times, it's interesting to see over the last couple of years what's happened. Because you would have thought the last two years with the pandemic and the difficulties and poor leadership in our nation, you would have thought that more people would have come to Christ, not less. You would have thought, Right? You'd have thought that something like this might bring, bring people to their knees. Have you noticed it's not? I'm not saying that there aren't Christians who haven't gotten right with God. And I'm not saying that there aren't people that have walked in these doors because of the circumstances. But you would think, given what we've been through, that they'd all be red states. That they'd all be people who, who looked for God and went to church on Sunday and gave their hearts to Christ. You would think. But the opposite is somewhat true. There's a divide, and, and we'll see in a minute, that's something Jesus told us would happen as well. So, what could be happening? Well, God is bringing us to a time of breaking. It's why I'm so encouraged. Because God hasn't destroyed us yet. If this was about destroying us, he wouldn't waste his time. It's about grace. It's about reaching us with the truth. I'm more excited about being able to reach people with the truth today than I've ever been in my walk Christ over 30-something years, 36 years, whatever. Because I see God's grace in suffering. Pastor Joe shared from the mission field. They went into prisons and gang-infested neighborhoods. And in the midst of that, God is working. Among orphans, inmates, God is working. And I don't know if you caught it, but one of the things Joe says, and I've been there in El Salvador many times, and I know Joe always says this, that the reason that these prisoners are in prison is so that they could be there to hear the message of the gospel. 
God uses suffering. So Daniel wanted to know. He wanted to know, and then you can imagine, what would be the outcome? He wanted to know, what would be the outcome of this time of distress for Israel? And look at verse 8. It isn't a logical question here, a very logical question. I heard, he said, he heard this conversation, which he relayed to us, but I did not understand. Yeah, Daniel, me too. <laughs> I don't completely understand these things. I heard, I, I kind of know what you're talking about, but do I completely, totally get it? No. Even with the help of a study in Revelation, I can't come to a conclusion where I can tell you absolutely what will or won't happen. But I heard but did not understand, Daniel says. So I asked. I just want to stop. When you hear God and you don't understand or you read in God's word something and you don't understand, what do you do? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus said that, didn't he? Ask God to explain to you what you don't understand in God's word, in your life, in the circumstances that you're going through. It pleases God. When we come to him, oh, so many of my prayers sound like this. Lord, I have no idea what you're doing. Could you please explain it to me? Because I'm very confused right now. Whether it's our world or what's something going on in my life or in my heart or in the lives of people I love, so many of my prayers sound like that. How about David who prayed, I think it was Psalm 13. He said, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Will you forget me forever? Doesn't sound like a kind of prayer that would be like held in high esteem, but it's in God's word. So we'll understand. It's okay to ask God. In fact, I like to say this. I'm fond of saying it. Ask God questions. Don't question God. Ask God questions. There is a difference. So as we look at this, Daniel heard, didn't understand. So I asked, he said, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? It's like, what's the end game? Why? It's really more of a why than a what. What's the outcome of this? He clearly didn't understand why God would pour out his wrath on the earth. But the scriptures tell us clearly that he's, God has determined that these things should happen. By the way, this is the fifth time that Daniel had received visions. We're in that midst of that long vision toward the end of this book. And yet this man who had received five visions from God that we are aware of didn't understand everything that was going on. Welcome to the club. He still had questions even after he had received these amazing visions and revelations. And you will always have questions for God. Make sure you ask him. And sometimes God says, I'm not going to tell you. Remember when you'd ask your parents, you'd ask them a question. Mom, why? Ba, 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 ba. And what would you hear? Because I said so. Remember that? Because I said so. And you'd ask your dad, and you'd hear, what did your mother say? She said, because I said so. Then that's your answer. And so many times as kids would walk away, that's not fair. Yeah, life is not fair. And when mom says, because I said so, and dad said, because your mother said so, that's it. Sometimes God just says, because I said so. Are you okay with that? Well, I guess it depends on whether you really trust God, right? It's hard to trust God when he just says, because I said so. Well, here's what Daniel, I like this. Daniel received this answer, and we'll look at it in verses, uh, actually, we'll read the whole last few verses here, or some of it at least. Uh, It says, he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, 
and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Let's just stop there for a minute. He's going to introduce another, just another little tidbit of information that in some ways I wish he hadn't brought up because it only brings up more questions. But as we look at this, Daniel was again told to close up and seal the words of this book that he had received, this, this vision, until the time of the end. We've already talked about the time of the end. You might say the last days. And we know what the scripture told us in Joel and Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. We're in the last days. But the time of the end refers properly to that last seven years and then time of wrath the last three and a half years. But he's reminded by this angel to keep this revelation secret, actually, until the time of the end was closer. Now, it's interesting, and we'll see this next week, when, we, when John, well, not next week, but we'll see it as we begin our study next week, that John was instructed by an angel not to keep his revelation secret, because the time was near. So I guess what God was saying is, Daniel, I'm giving you information that, put it on ice right now, but then he gives more information, similar information to John, the apostle, in about 95 AD, and he says, you know what? Don't seal this up. So there's a time when God reveals things, and there's a time when he doesn't. And in Daniel's life, at this point, it was not the time yet to consider these things. There were so many things that needed to happen first. And the angel revealed that many, look at this in verse 10, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined at the time of the end. So you see, it is a time of grace. That time of suffering and distress will achieve the fact that people will be purified. Refiner's fire purifies the heart. See, the tribulation we go through, it purifies our hearts and our character. It makes us the men and women of God that he's called us to be. So don't despise suffering. It brings character, character, hope, perseverance. All the things the scripture tells us about suffering is true. And so those, as it says here, those that are righteous, clearly many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Now, I know that that's going to happen in the time of the end. But could it be that the things we're going through today are really right out of God's playbook? That the difficulties in your own life, in our world, in our nation, in our culture, are purifying us, making us spotless and refined for the time of the end? See, that's how God uses suffering. And the Lord will purify his people, Israel. Now, understand what God is doing today through the Gentile world, he will do in the Jewish world in the last days, in the time of the end. But it doesn't mean he's not doing it today. And that's where we get confused when we conflate or confuse Israel and the church. They're distinct groups of people. So as we talk about people today, Jews and Gentiles alike, God is doing the same work, but he's going to do this work until Israel's broken as a people during those last three and a half years. Now, Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb and refining fire, will purify those that come to him at any age. Amen? At any time. So have you come to him? Have you come to him? He will separate the true from the false and the wise from the wicked. And that's based on whether or not you respond to the gospel message. To as many as received them, to those that call on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. John told us that in chapter 1. So the wicked, though, notice, did you read this with me? The wicked will continue to be wicked during the time of wrath, and this is going to be without understanding. Have you found it difficult, maybe you're like me, you found it difficult even now in our world to understand why the wicked continue to be wicked without understanding? 
Have you looked at our world? Have you looked at our political system? Have you looked at what's happening in Europe or throughout the world and asked the question, why do these wicked people continue to be wicked? Well, God says in his word, the wicked will continue to be wicked. So every time a Vladimir Putin or some dictator or some person in Cuba or Kim Jong-un or Il or whatever, any time these people are wicked, all it does is prove what the scripture says. The wicked will continue to be wicked. When will they stop being wicked? When will these things be fulfilled? When Christ comes again. So you should expect more of the same in our world. The righteous will be purified. The wicked will continue to be what? Wicked. So understand that. That's why when you look at our political system and you look at the corruption in our world, you say, how could these people? Well, the wicked will continue to be wicked. It's not going to change. No matter who you elect, the swamp is not going away. Because the wicked will continue to be wicked. Just understand that. I, I don't know if that encourages you. It's just the reality of what God told us in his word. But the wise will understand God's wisdom during this time of distress. Are you wise? If you're in Christ, you're wise. You're going to be un, begin to understand. You're going to see things happening. You're going to think, what's wrong with these people? How could they possibly believe this lie? There's so many lies out there. And people are just swallowing them up like candy. Well, wicked will continue to be wicked. But then... Let's remember for a minute, going back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that he was told that a leader will confirm a covenant. This is a recap of what we studied in Daniel 9. A covenant with many for a seven-year period. And that indicates or initiates Daniel's 70th week. What we were told there, that there's going to be a European leader who's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. And then that prophetic clock will begin uh, ticking again. And once that, that covenant is confirmed... And he's going to destroy the temple, desecrate the temple, put an end to sacrifice and offering after three and a half years. And in the middle of that seven-year time period, he's going to set up what's called the abomination that causes desolation on a wing of the rebuilt temple. So we know this much. For seven years, there's a covenant, and this individual, this world leader, breaks that covenant after three and a half years. So the last three and a half years are hell on earth for Israel. They have to flee to the mountains, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. But this leader will ultimately be destroyed by God after the final three and a half years of Daniel's 490-year prophecy, which is what we've been talking about for weeks now. But what did the angel reveal? And and I admit, I I almost hesitate to to mention this because it's only going to create more questions. But listen, what did the angel tell Daniel? Because I said so, basically. All right, so here's what we learn in verse 11. Notice, those who are wise will understand. Well, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, we talked about when that is, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. And here's the encouragement. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So... Daniel is told not to worry his pretty little head about it. But he is given some information before the book comes to an end. The angel revealed that there will be a 1,290-day time period. Something is going to happen. And this is after the desecration of the temple, which is in the middle of that seven-year time period. See, the first half of Daniel's 70th week is three and a half years. In some places in Scripture, it's called 42 months, three and a half years or 1,260 days. 
You can look in Daniel and Revelation. You'll find this time period described in that way. And then there's the second half of Daniel's 70th week. It's the same in Daniel Revelation as well. It's the same time period. But the angel revealed that those that wait for and reach the end of the 1,335 days will be blessed. But did you notice how the first one was 1,290 and not 1,260? If you're paying attention, that's an extra 30 days. What's going to happen? I have no idea. I really don't. And we're not told. Oh, what's going to happen? Um, we do know this. Ready? Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. So there's a time of blessing. is an, uh, an abundant blessing that will happen after that three and a half years. And there's 30 days that are mentioned, and then an additional 45, 75 in total. What's going to happen during that time period? Well, it's going to be good. Are you okay with that? I got a surprise for you. What is it? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, come on, please tell me. Does it involve ice cream? Tell a little kid you have a surprise and see how they'll drive you crazy to figure out what it is. Well, if I tell you it's not a surprise anymore, but I want to know. It's a good thing. And that's all you and I really need to know. And that's all we can know. Who knows? Maybe this is when the Jews will be purified, made spotless, and refined during that 30 years. Maybe that's a separation of the sheep and the goats. I don't know. But then there's this extra 45 days after the desecration of the temple, and that may reveal that Christ's earthly kingdom will be established at that time. Maybe there's a transition time. Whatever it is, it's good. It's a time of blessing, and you can look forward to it. Now, finally, he's told that he, was, he would be resurrected. He would die and be resurrected. At the end of days, he would receive his inheritance, and we're all looking forward to that, not dying, the inheritance. But he probably already received his resurrected body when Christ was raised from the dead. I think that's a distinct possibility, according to Matthew 27, verse 50. But he's already received the eternal blessings that were promised to him by God, for he's in the presence of God. That's our hope. That's our hope. Children of God look forward to receiving God's many blessings, not just during that 75-day time period but throughout eternity. And we have no clue. Eye has not seen, ear heard, or entered into the heart of man or the mind of man the good things that he's prepared for us. So may we be wise, leading many to our righteous Lord and Savior. May we be like Daniel, prepared to receive our allotted inheritance when he calls us home. And may we shine like the brightness of the heavens and the stars forever. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good and wonderful blessings you have in store for us. And what can we say except, Lord, you said so. And because you said so, it will be. And we trust you that you're good and that you have a good plan for us that includes not only a time period in the future, but all eternity. Lord, may every heart here understand the importance of giving their hearts to you today that they might know that no matter what happens in the future, whether they're here next week or not, that because they give their hearts to you, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that all those that cry out to you are in no way cast out. Lord, we know you're the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by you. We ask that you would fill our hearts with your love, empower us by your Spirit, 
and secure us in the salvation that was bought by the blood on the cross, the blood that Jesus shed for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.